The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So I haven't been home in about five weeks. I'm visiting my mom who lives here. Um, I'm a school teacher, and for spring break, I spent a retreat at this gorgeous Benedictine monastery in Big Sur, California, up in the mountains overlooking the ocean. And I was walking around, you know, there's Catholic monks, but this Buddhist chant came to me. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, Buddhist chant in a Catholic monastery. So I'll share it with you. Um, There's all these studies that have been done with monks who chant and monks who don't chant. And, of course, the monks who chant are doing better in the study. Um, You know, chanting is not singing. Um, Most people stop drawing at the age of eight. So you have, if you're an adult, you probably have the skill of an eight-year-old for drawing, if you stop drawing. And most people stop singing around that age. And so singing has become this thing of the quality of the singing. And chanting is not about that. Feel free to sound bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not a singer. Um, in Thailand, where I was introduced to Theravada Buddhism, the Thai masters do this mantra, Bhutto. And the Buddha, you know who the Buddha is? The Bhutto is the one who knows the Dhamma. So they do this mantra of just saying Bhutto, Bhutto, Bhutto. And sometimes they do Dhammo, Sango. And Namo is something that you find in a lot of languages. It's kind of like a, a word of praise or a word of uplifting or a word of acknowledgement. So my little chant is Namo Bhutto, Namo Dhammo. Namo Sango. So Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, the jewels. I was thinking this morning that we don't have any jewels in this culture, right? Like if you give a person the latest iPhone or a jewel, they'll be like, I'll take the iPhone. Like, you know what I mean? Like we don't have this notion of something that's really precious the way jewels used to be, something beautiful and rare. So the triple gem in some ways is kind of like, in today's society, doesn't have that much meaning. At least, that's my perception. So, namo buto, namo tamo, namo sango, and at the end is just budo tamo sango. So, got that? It's namo buto, namo tamo, namo sango, budo tamo sango. Join me if you like. <clears throat> Um, we're going to have some silent time. I'm not going to give you a guided meditation. I think once in a while, silence is beautiful. Um, The theme of today's morning for me is going to be words and questions. What are the questions of your life and what are the words? And um, I was thinking in Spanish. ¿Hay alguien aquí que habla español? You know, there's no, there's no word in Spanish for the word mood. Like, oh, I'm in a good mood. But when in English you're like, what mood are you in? You kind of have a sense of what that means. 
And in, in Pali, uh, the Buddha is quoted in the scriptures as calling meditation bhavana, cultivation. So if you think of gardening, you know, you're, you do their thing and then the plant grows. And within that cultivation, you have then that <clears throat> samatha and vipassana. And I've heard through the years, like, oh, I don't know how to meditate. And I think what they're saying is, I don't know how to relax or I still have thoughts. So they're talking about that concentration part of meditation. I'm going to give you full permission to P-R-A-Y. In Buddhism, P-R-A-Y is not, you know, it's a word that you don't use very often. But you can use, you can use, your, you can use your thoughts in meditation. And so the word that I want to talk about is attitude. You know, as you sit here, can we have an attitude of receptivity? You know, because meditation is hard. And one of my pet peeves is how mindfulness is being sold right now, or meditation is one thing that will help you, and just another thing to do with your exercise and your good diet. And, you know, if you're stressed out, meditate. You know, you meditate and you get a headache, you know, or, or you meditate and all you can think is crazy stuff. So we're going to do the chant. And if you're a practiced meditator, do your thing. There's so many techniques. Go from the top of your head to your toes, your breath, repeating buto. But with it all, you know, what is, what is the attitude? We live in a culture that is addicted to accomplishment, that is addicted to convenience. So things should be easy, and meditation is a completely different ballgame. Also, I want you to know that you sitting here is helping the person next to you. That you sitting here, even though it'd be like, ah, craziness, you look very graceful. Who knows what's, <laughs> who knows what's going internally? Just you being here is supportive. Yeah. So we'll start with giving praise to all the Buddhas, all the teachers. And that Bhutto, the one who knows, is that potential that we have to see the way things are. So Namo Bhutto. And Namo Tamo, so my teacher said, you know, the, the translation I like about Dhamma is reality. Yeah. And all the teachings, all the wisdom sayings of the world. So you give praise to that which is true, that which is beautiful, that which is reality. And Namo Sango, if you've been lucky to have somebody that has taken care of you, if you've been lucky to have a teacher or a friend or a spiritual community, then you give praise to that. So Namo Buddha, Namo Damo, Namo Sango, Buddha Damo Sango. <clears throat> Namo Buddha, Namo Damo, Namo Sango, Buddha Damo Sango, Namo Buddha, 
Namo Damo Namo Sango Buddha Damo Sango Namo Buddha Namo Damo Namo Sango Buddha Dhamma Sangho Namo Buddha Namo Dhamma Namo Sangho Buddha Dhamma Sangho Namo Buddha Namo Dhamma Namo Sangho Buddha Dhamma Sangho Namo Buddha Namo Dhamma Namo Sangho Buddha Dhamma Sangho Namo Buddha Namo Dhamma Namo Sangho Buddha Dhamma Sangho Namo Buddha, Namo Dhamma, Namo Sangha, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, Namo Buddha, Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambutasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambutasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambutasa. Bhutang namang sangang namasa.
Good morning again. Uh, I, I was just saying in, in the office this morning that, you know, I've lived in about seven countries and different cities, and I think the Twin Cities is the place where I've lived the longest. I was born in El Salvador, and because of the war, uh, my family came as refugees. And the Twin Cities is a very generous place um, for refugees. When I was 19, I started traveling. Um, at 24, I ended up at a Thai international Buddhist monastery. I said, I'm going to be here for six months. It ended up being 18 months. And then I went to England, and I stayed as a monastic for about seven years. I went back for the first time uh, last year. So I was 24 when I got there, and I was 48. I'm like, oh, it's been a lifetime. And the monastery was uh, surrounded by rice paddies, and it had water buffalo. And before that, it had just been forest, just jungle. And now there's a 7-Eleven a block, a block away. Big houses. The rice paddies are gone. Um, it's like, oh. It was so interesting going in. You know, the, as you fly in Thailand, the forest monasteries have become like flower pots. And I entered in, and the, the weather changed all of a sudden. It was like, and uh, I wanted to take a picture. I had a picture of me as a novice sitting in a by the building, and I went over there. I asked permission to walk around. And the building was gone. But I did find one of my old huts, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, if I spread, you know, if I spread, it was like I could almost touch. It was this little hut. I'm like, I slept on the floor, and I'm like, whoa, I don't know if I could do that now. So now I live in San Francisco. I'm, uh, I was teaching Spanish and art last year with mainly brown and black kids facing a lot of stuff. And um, I had quite a year, very anxiety-provoking year. But it's, uh, it's been a good experience. Um, sitting here, you know, every time I come, I, when I came back to Minnesota, I met Mark and... Uh, when Common Ground used to be in the other building. And, and I remember I, I felt like I had gone through like this big divorce, you know, and I couldn't date another sangha. You know? <laughs> and it was like I needed some time. Also, I had never practiced Buddhism as a non-monastic. And by that time, I had spent most of my adult years as a monastic. So, you know, I just needed some time to... So I've been around Common Ground. So sitting here, it makes me, it makes me really happy. I'm so happy that Common Ground exists. When I was a teenager, I remember in St. Paul trying to find somebody who would teach me meditation, and I found one book in the library. Now it's, uh, it, there's so much information. You can YouTube so many teachers, and you can have so many books. So it's a different kind of issue. I, I don't know what's better, to have too little or too much. Um, I've decided that I, I speak three spiritualities. 
And that's the forest tradition, Theravada Buddhism, and uh, the mystic Catholic tradition, and what is roughly kind of called Hinduism. And I studied it uh, at university, and then I have lived some of that. I live a, a block and a half from a Catholic church in the Castro in San Francisco. And uh, I've noticed that I really enjoy going to Mass and all of this because there's an incompleteness in what I see in California. Uh, there's very little ritual. Uh, like here, the, you know, chanting books don't exist in a lot of centers. And sometimes these, these religions have uh, rituals and traditions that go to the somatic center that, that do things that just talking and meditating don't do. These kind of spiritual technologies that are very useful. So, you know, taking communion and, and the symbolism and all of that, I'm, I'm quite happy. In. And also the church is kind of fabulous. It's, say, the church of gays and grays. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of gay men and a lot of older people, and it's a kind of a fun mix. Um, as I was saying, I, I want to focus on on words and questions. I, I've loved words since I was a little kid, and um, in Pali, there's this term called yoniso manasikara. It roughly translates as wise reflection. Again, it's using your cognitive abilities, using your thoughts to uh, liberate you from your suffering. And uh, so my question is, what, you know, what, what are the questions of my life? Ajahn Chah, my teacher's teacher, used to say, why was I born? You know, very koan-like, you know, our siblings in the, Zen tradition have these koans, you know, these questions that just kind of float. And it's kind of like poetry, you know, there's different levels of, of questions and words. Why was I born? One of the questions I have at the moment for me is, am I interested in heaven or am I interested in truth? Do I want my life to be good or do I want to see things the way they are? I'm kind of, that's a question I have at the moment for myself. And I was going to, you know, I was going to focus, I, I don't make notes, and I was going to make the talk telling someone that my talk was going to be, do I want heaven or do I want truth? But maybe that's not your question. <laughs> um, I want you, you know, as you know, I'm a teacher, I want you to find an elbow partner, somebody who's sitting next to you. And... Uh, and just sort of check in and ask, um, what brought you here today? I'm going to give you just three to four minutes. Introduce yourself. Um, I use he and him and his. So you could uh, say, how you're, say your name, your pronoun, and what brought you here. And then uh, what I do with my loud kids is I say, you know, when I raise my hand and you see me, Finish your sentence, raise your hand, and then that will tell people that that's the time to stop talking. That way I don't have to shout. Okay? And I'll ring the bell. Does that make sense? Introduce yourself. What brought you here today? You're such good student. 
um, I'm sure many of you know that, that old story of a guy who gets uh, hit with an arrow in the eye. You know that, right? No? Okay. Well, there's a guy that gets hit on the arrow. <laughs> uh, old Buddhist story. It could be pre-Buddhist. There are some stories in the suttas that uh, appear in pre-Buddhist scripture. Uh, so the guy's with an arrow, and people would try to go and get the arrow out, and he's like, who threw this? What caste was the person who threw the arrow? What kind of wood is this arrow? At what speed was the arrow? You know, like, start asking all these questions, and they're like, we just want to get the arrow out. <laughs> and sometimes we do that with our lives. Right? We, we ask the wrong questions. Or we focus on the wrong things. You know, like, how can I get more status? You know, for, for uh, when I came back to the U.S. for a couple of years, I really thought about why are humans so interested in status? You know, in every culture that I've encountered and read about, you want a heavy status, whether it's a title. You know, in America, they smell your class by saying, so what do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm just doing that to network or, you know, find a connection. I'm like, yeah. But, you know, when I came back, <laughs> before my master's degree, I, I uh, worked at the Minneapolis Institute of Art at Kocheck in the summer. So I was like, and I just wanted people to ask me, like, what do you do? I'm like, I work at Kocheck. <laughs> like, there's not much to do. Um, and, yeah, you know, my teachers would say, yeah, you know, he, he has a master's from Berkeley, and he's been a monk longer than I've been alive, and... He used to say, yeah, in America, they're obsessed with what you do. And he goes, I urinate every day. I'm a urinator. <laughs> Which I'm like, you know, I was interested that he was also interested in this, you know. And to ask, you know, what are the cultural norms that create? And that's why I'm so fascinated by words. Like in El Salvador, I don't know if it's a Latin American thing or Spanish thing, but the greeting in the morning is, como amaneciste? And amanecer is dawn or the, the rising of the sun. How have you arisen? Doesn't make that much sense in English, but for us, como amaneciste is like it's an opening to like, well, I had this bad dream, or my neck is kind of like, you know, it's not like how did you sleep, but like how have you arisen? Yeah, and that's why again, like when you say what is your mood, you like you know exactly what that means. So I've been thinking in, in Spanish, we don't have that word. It's interesting. Right? So many concepts. That's why I love Pali. Pali is really interesting with uh, spiritual concepts. And the danger is that you can get all those words before the experience, and uh, that can actually block you from <laughs> letting go, because then you're expecting to have some kind of special thing, experience. So this question that I was talking about uh, that I've, I've also been thinking is, when do I need medicine and when do I need to be patient? Because in, in many traditional Buddhist circles, when they say, I'm experiencing this, one of the answers could be, stay with it, study it, be with it. That's valid. But sometimes you just need medicine. It could be therapy. You need to go see a therapist, you know. Meditation can unravel some of your stuff, which again is a pet peeve of mine to say, go meditate and relax. 
When in fact, when you start meditating and things get unraveled, you need some medicine. Yeah? As Buddhism goes to every culture, it melts really well with whatever is there. So Vajrayana went born in, in, in Tibet. So with us, is, is Buddhism is mixing with psychotherapeutic traditions, and it's mixing with science, and it's mixing with materialism quite strongly, those three waves. You know, I want to get something. I want to get rid of something. And the question, you know, so I changed schools from this school in Oakland, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to bore you with all the things that were going on, but my body started feeling this anxiety came up again. I started feeling this anxiety, I think, two, three years into my monkhood, stuff got unraveled. And so I just feel this anxiety right here, right? Just on and off. That's another thing, meditation and practice... It's not a vaccine for whatever karma or whatever thing you're going to have. And some people come in and like, oh, I'm going to meditate and then I'll never feel anxious. Like, honey, that's not how it works. <laughs> so last year, you know, I was, I was walking the dog and I started vomiting before, before school. And I just looked at this guy. I'm like, why am I vomiting? And I'm like, oh, I need medicine. Because, you know, there's so much anxiety. My, 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 my body is like throwing up. And I was like, okay, I get it. It's not just about observing now. So I found this healer woman. She's kind of fabulous. And she, she did these pre-Columbian things with me. And she was spraying things and shaking things and chanting. And, and I'm like, okay, got some medicine. And it was very useful. And I recommend her now to people. But to have that wisdom and say, okay, I need to stay with it. There are some things that there's no cure. If you're experiencing grief, I always say to people, you know, there's no cure for grief. <laughs> there's no pill. There's no, it's grief. There's nothing that pulls you to the earth like grief. Worry. You know? And now you get all of these you know, articles and things like, Seven steps to make friends with anxiety. How to stop worrying. How, you know, and, and I'm not saying that's not useful, but it, it can just add to the problem if you're not careful. So what are the questions of your life? You know, what, ha- what are some themes that have come up in your life? Ask yourself that if you haven't. Be, be, be quite conscious and say, what are some of the things that make me curious? Curiosity has such a lovely strength. What's in that box, right? Like, whoa. And, at what, and what is the level of your questions? Sometimes we want to use spiritual technologies for psychological problems. Or people think that you're dealing with spirituality when, when your questions are, how can I get a better job? How can I get along with my partner? How do I make something better? How do I make my life first class as opposed to economy class? You know? Especially in the United States of America. How do you make your life better? How do you look better? 
And so the questions can be very useful. For example, a couple of years ago, they were calling my little school, uh, you know, some of the other teachers, a toxic environment. I'm like, okay. So then the question I ask myself is, how am I adding to a toxic environment? Now, am I adding? But I actually ask myself, how am I adding to this toxic environment? And I came up with a list, and, 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 I, and I told myself, if I saw something, like to really challenge myself and just be, what I have control over is for me not to be toxic. And it got to the point where I had to step out. And this year, 11 teachers left in a little school. You know, it's imploding. Because the place, and sometimes that's why, when do you stay? When do you go? Those are all of those questions, right? How do you raise a child? How do you, you know, how, all of those questions that come up with life can also have a larger question. Yeah? When am I doing something from the ego? And when am I being social justice oriented? I've met so many social justice people that are so into their ego. Or have you ever met an angry peace activist? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so the world is like that, but how do you add peace to yourself? So you're like St. Francis, your walking is your teaching. That has such a big impact on me. He used to tell his friars, make your walking your preaching, how you live your life. Do you smile? Do you have humor? So let's take a time like right now to think about some of the questions of your life. And you're going to share whatever level with your elbow partner something that comes up. And it can be really it can be really surface level. I'm not asking you to, you know, go in and also just to say, I don't know. You know, what am I and is there a way to sort out the level of these questions? You know, for example, in the Buddha's story, he is living in heaven, right? And uh, I gave a whole talk on, on Siddhartha at the palace because it's quite a stupid story if you take it surface level. Like he's 29 and he's never seen a sick person and a dead person. <laughs> like, no, it's about... Here you have everything, and you've been sheltered. And then he says, there's something more. We look at like Oprah Winfrey. She's got all these money, she's got fame, and now she's like talking to spiritual people. It's interesting. And so Siddhartha then, then says, you know, goes, becomes a meditation master and all that, and then, he, and then he's like, oh, suffering. The most common, like everybody suffers. And he says, this can be one of the keys. I look at the attachment to craving. And then the question is, how do I teach this? How do I, how do I live my life? Having suffering as an anchor and then having transcendence as a reality where it doesn't matter what your status is or how sick your body is or how worried you are. You're the Buddha seeing Dhamma. You know? Such simple, simple thing and so incredibly rare. So we're going to take one minute of silence. I'll ring the bell. 
and see if you can share. Sometimes just talking about questions. You know, it's also lovely. Like, like you go to a bar or you go to work, and how many t- people talk about the questions of their lives? You know, so many interactions are so incredibly superficial. Because it would also be weird to be at a bar. I'm like, what is the spiritual question of your life? Right? Like, the, you know, sometimes we just don't have the chance to do that. But I'm going to give you that chance. So. Just think about what are the questions of my life at the moment or as a pattern. If you do not feel like sharing, just put your heart uh, put your head in your heart area. And it's just a signal for the other person to join another group. <laughs> and that's totally okay. Um, and again, just share whatever uh, feels comfortable. Okay. Isn't it nice just to chat about something that's not the weather or <laughs> present? Actually, it was interesting, you know, yesterday people were like, it's such a nice day. It's such a, oh, yeah. Weather in Minnesota is a thing. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, it's San Francisco is like this air-conditioned city for the most part, and like, the weather is not a thing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the questions of our lives, the words, the words of our lives. And... Um, for so long, you know, this thing of the, the finger pointing at the moon, I remember as a teenager seeing a postcard or whatever, and I'm like, duh, like, of course the finger is not the moon. Like, what is he supposed to teach me? And just recently, I, I've been like, oh, wait a second. It is very easy to get caught up in that finger. <laughs> you know, that finger could be religions. It could be your opinions. And so I've been thinking about that, how you can be a monk forever and just be stuck in that finger. I mean, there are monks in Thailand who give you their card with the PhDs that they have and the titles the king have have given you and this whole status thing. Or you could be a cardinal. You know, I was a monk, I was in the Vatican, and, and it was like, oh, they're wearing the pink hats. And they're, you know, the whole status thing. So... Do you have a comment? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not familiar with the finger in the moon. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's just a saying, saying don't, don't confuse the moon for the finger pointing at the moon. Yeah. You know? And again, it's like, it, you know, there's got these levels. And again, you can be stuck in, I want to be super person. When I arrived in Thailand, uh, you know, I was planning to do my master's degree and all this, and, and within a month I was hiking near the Burmese border. Ajahn Chandako was part of that group, and he comes and talks here sometimes. Ajahn Yatiko, who left after 20 years of being a monk. Ajahn Sudanta, who's now an abbot. Sudasana, who I still keep in touch, he left after five years, and he, he's a quiet practitioner. He teaches yoga. But, uh, you know, we were walking and, and, and talking about all of this, like, you know, what does it mean to really practice? Like, that word is interesting, practice. In the English language, you practice the violin. 
or you practice this. So you're practicing to do what? Or you can just say, oh, it's your practice. And people can get really caught up, like, I should meditate these many minutes, or I should meditate daily, or I should do this. And those are the, those are, that's an interesting question. What are your shoulds? I didn't understand shame for a while until I read this article when the Dalai Lama understood what shame was and he started to cry. You know, to, to be told that you're not good enough, all of those things. So that's a question. How do I heal? You know, I'm very interested by the word forgiveness. It is my opinion that you cannot forgive. It's my opinion that forgiveness happens. It's a grace. So the question could be, how do I open myself to forgiveness? Which in my mind is just the healing. Healing happens. Right? It's, not a, it's not condoning, it's not anything, but it's, it's, it, you, you have the scar tissue as opposed to a wound. Like, what do I need to do to open to forgiveness? And whether forgiveness happens or not is none of your business. Does that make sense? (laughs) Same thing with mindfulness. It is not possible to be mindful. What I mean by that, again, it's a word that now is used and overused. The example I give is like, eat your uh, blueberry mindfully. And so in some circles that, you know, mindfulness means uh, don't do ten things at once. Focus. So synonymous with focusing is what mindfulness is. Ajahn Sumedho used to, instead of using mindfulness, he used to talk about intuitive awareness. If you know the word sati. So let's talk about, just to play with words, with uh, mindfulness with a big M, which is the Buddha knowing Dhamma, (laughs) which is seeing reality as it is, which is the second noble truth, you know, when you actually, desire is normal, desire is human, there's nothing wrong with desire, but the attachment to desire, wanting the present moment to be different than what it is. Hmm? And then there's this moment of grace that, see, where this is where you can speak every language, when now when you read a text and you have experienced this, you say things like, God is love. That never made sense to me in Catholic school in El Salvador. Because love is a complicated word. God is a super complicated word. But actually, when you, when everything is kind of left over, you know, Ajahn Chai would say there's a stillness, and then there is something transcendent that could be described as love. And there could be any kind of spiritual experience that you could have, whether you know your guardian angel's name and you have chats with her, or you know you go to the site, you have psychic powers, or you, you know, you can feel the pain of the stones and the animals. Whatever thing that might be flashy is not the present moment. The last talk I heard from my teacher, he said, you know, in European-based cultures it is said that consciousness is in the body. He said, but you know, the body is in consciousness. I was like, oh, how interesting. 
so the present moment, the you know, the holy presence of the the unknown. It's so incredibly simple, and then that's why you have words like purity. You know, because pure water is just just water. Yeah. So what would it be like to open yourself up and then you experience the present moment? Sometimes it's weird because it is in that moment of anxiety or in that moment of grief that you're like, whoa, I just felt life. You know? Or in meditation, many times meditation is not for the time that you're in the cushion, it's for later. It's, it's opening, it's, it's, it's working in, in, a different, in a different realm so that at one point you're like, yeah, this is the present moment. Compassion can break you open in ways that take you to the present moment. And that's what I see. It's a, it's a moment of grace. Um, where there's no words, because you can say the observer, but you can say it's an experience, but it's not. That's why I can't, that's what I'm saying, that you can't just say, I'm going to be mindful now. It's something that happens. And if that happens to you, notice it. It's like, oh. And, and the warning for most Dharma teachers is, then don't get attached to this. They even say that about the jhanas, the um, meditation absorption. Anybody who prays a lot has a chance of experiencing this. St. Teresa of Avila was a meditation master. And when she wrote her book, she had to be very careful because of the Inquisition. But it's exactly the same pattern as the seven jhanas in Buddhism. Exactly. Only with different language. And the same, you know, and, and the jhanas are pre-Buddhist. We know that. No one has ever argued that it is a Buddhist thing. And it's the eighth part of the Noble Eightfold Path. But even that, the highest jhana is the level of perception, neither perception perception or non-perception, which I cannot talk about. I don't know what that means. (laughs) But you could be there, you know, it's what the gods of light experience. And that's not the present moment. It's beyond the gods. It's beyond being high. It's this present moment. And that's why people say it's simple. But we live in such a complicated society that, you know, sometimes we think enlightenment is really complicated. Because so we're so cognitively, you know, I, I bet that most of you have more education than high school. It's okay if you don't. But Buddhism tends to attract people that are educated, right? That have pieces of paper that say you have a degree. I have three. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not putting it down. It's just, that, it's just that sometimes that thinking and those questioning can take you away from the present moment. So... Thank you for being here. I, I want to encourage you to, to go into that reflective mode sometimes, that yoniso manasikara. You know? What are the good questions? The good questions is like, how do I suffer? You know, one of my questions is like, what does it mean to be generous? You know, like truly. I'm going to give you a dana talk now because it's the end of the talk. Um, so Mormons give 10% of their income to the church. Giving money to religious organization is nothing unusual. In the scriptures it says when you give, 
give the right thing to the right person in the right place with the right attitude. I'm like, oh, okay. So I aspire to have that right attitude. Sometimes I don't have it, but I'm like, oh, I need practice. Let's be generous. Um, many times the money that I get from Common Ground, I donate it. Because uh, I have this game in my head that I just won the lottery, and now I'm going to give it to the causes that I like. So Amnesty International is you know, my prayer against people that are tortured. Like, how can, how can this, we still torture people as a, as a species? So the money that you give today, I'm giving to this nuns uh, community. I'm on the board. Um, and nuns are not treated very well in many Buddhist countries. So this little monastery is having their 10th anniversary, and they're going to have a big celebration. And uh, I'm sponsoring um, a bookmark for this book that they've published. And so that money's going to go to that. And it gives me a lot of joy to have this money. Like, I use money from Common Ground to buy all the Buddhist scriptures to this uh, EBMC, the East Bay Meditation Center. So when I go to that, yeah, when I go to EBMC, I saw those books, and I'm like, oh, Common Ground paid for those reference books. It's, it's just kind of nice, you know? So um, thank you for being with me this time. And ah, You know, I tell myself that my intention is to say things that are good and useful. If I have said something that is not useful or hurtful, I ask for your pardon. If there's something that has been good for you, take it in. Work for your happiness. Happy people are not mean. May this time that we have spent together help every being that wants to be liberated from suffering. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.